At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with John Robinson, the president and COO of 100 Thieves. The Los Angeles-based gaming and entertainment company recently raised $60 million at a $460 million valuation. In this conversation, we discuss raising a $10 million seed round, how much money they make on esports, apparel, and entertainment, their approach to building a multi-billion dollar business, organic growth versus acquisitions, and if they plan to go public anytime soon. This was an awesome conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a 24-7 personalized fitness wearable that's here to help you improve your recovery, sleep, fitness, and health. Here's how it works. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, respiratory rate, and heart rate variability. Your score lets you know how to approach your day, whether you should push yourself during your workout or activity, or if you should skip the gym and take a rest day. You wear your Whoop on your wrist, bicep, or now within one of their smart garments clothings called Whoop Body. The band connects with an app on your phone and automatically measures your heart rate, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. The band also automatically detects and classifies your workouts, so there's never an issue in forgetting to press go or on a run. You can then analyze your activity and recovery levels in your app. There's also a ton of coaching features within it, like Strain Coach, which gives you target workout exertion goals tailored to your body's recovery level for that day. Those goals change over the course of the day, depending on how active you've been. That coaching is where Whoop really shines. Whether you're interested in how CBD or alcohol impacts your sleep and recovery, or you are wondering how long of a run you should go on, Whoop is there to provide you with personalized data to make sure you're aware of the impact these decisions have on your body. I've been wearing Whoop for over a year now, and it's drastically improved the way I approach fitness and think about my recovery. But here's the best part. Whoop is now offering 15% off of their all-new Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com, and enter Joe at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Optimize your performance with the all-new Whoop 4.0 today. Next up is Public Rec. Are you looking to upgrade your baggy sweats? It's time to check out Public Rec. Their best-selling all-day, everyday pant is the perfect combination of indoor comfort and outdoor style. Myself, along with thousands of others, are wearing these, and trust me, they live up to the hype. Finally, a more stylish alternative to sweatpants that are way more comfortable than jeans. Now, your favorite lounge pants can also be your go-tos for work, happy hour, and the gym. After a year at home, they're definitely the pants you need, now that you need pants. Public Rec rarely discounts, but right now, they have an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Go to publicrec.com and use promo code HUDDLE, H-U-D-D-L-E, to receive 10% off. This episode is also sponsored by CoinCloud. Did you know you don't need a bank account to buy crypto? CoinCloud makes it easy to buy or sell Bitcoin and 30-plus other digital assets with their digital currency machines. It's the most convenient way to make a transaction. With thousands of machines across the country, there's no need to connect your bank account or wait in lines. Plus, they offer live, 24-7, U.S.-based customer support. Simply put, CoinCloud wants to make it easy for you to get involved in crypto. Get $50 off in free Bitcoin when you buy $200 or more at any CoinCloud machine and use the promo code Joe. You heard that right. That's free Bitcoin. For details, go to coin.cloud slash Joe. 
That's coin.cloud slash Joe. And don't forget to use promo code Joe for free Bitcoin. All right, John, thank you for doing this today. Joe, thanks for having me. Of Excited course. to be here. Big fan. Thanks. I appreciate that, as I am of you. So let's start with some background. I think that would be helpful. I know you joined 100 Thieves. You're now the president and COO. You guys recently raised a bunch of money. You reached a $460 million valuation. Things seem to be going great, but I would love to rewind and talk about how you got there. So you joined 100 Thieves in 2018. You were in the VC world before. You worked at Electronic Arts. How did you learn about 100 Thieves and why did you go join them? Sure. So my background spent most of my career in video games before that was in kind of professional sports. So I always had a passion for both competition and games. So when I saw esports really taken off, I was like, this is a really interesting trend. I think I want to spend some more time here. And so I joined Bessemer Venture Partners and spent about a year leading their gaming investing based out of San Francisco. And as all this was happening, this was when both Riot and Activision were beginning the franchise process for League of Legends and, and Overwatch. And through that process, I met a lot of really, really interesting people, met a lot of investors, a lot of traditional sports team owners. And one of those that I met was Dan Gilbert. And at the time, as I was kind of explaining my interest in esports and my desire to, to kind of move back into operating or running a team, he had a lot of interest in investing in a team or starting a team or building a team. And through actually one of the investors that's part of Dan Gilbert's team, a guy named Blake Robbins at, at Ludlow Ventures, made the connection that, that I should get in touch with Matt or Nade Shot. And, and we just kind of hit it off right away. He had this really big vision for what 100 Thieves could be, something much bigger than just an esports organization. And that's really what captured my attention. So is Blake Robbins like the mastermind behind this whole thing? Because I know Blake and I know I've heard the story that he set up Dan and Nate Shot, And now it sounds like he had a role in getting you to go there also. Yes, Blake is like the great connector of, I think I like met him on Twitter, right? Like everybody meets Blake on Twitter. Yep. And he put me and Matt together. Matt and I had a, had a more traditional relationship building. Like he took me out for tacos and we talked about video games and sports and all that stuff. But yeah, with Blake, it was over Twitter. He connected me with lots of, lots of great people. <laughs> That's hilarious. So what progress had 100 Thieves made before you got there? Were they an established company? Did they have employees? Did they have revenue? All of that kind of stuff. No, so 100 Thieves wasn't even incorporated yet. So 100 Thieves is really a kind of like a side project for Matt. I think at that point, Blake had seen the potential there. Obviously, Matt's like a tremendous entrepreneur and had this amazing run from being a world champion in Call of Duty to being this YouTube superstar to being kind of like a brand builder. I was like, this is really interesting. We should be supporting this guy. So this is way before the creator economy was a thing or popular or an investing trend. And Blake was just like, I really believe in this brand and I really believe in this entrepreneur and wanted to get behind it. And then kind of brought me in, made the introduction to kind of help get things going. So $460 million valuation, everything seems sexy now, but how do you start? Where do you start from zero? Sure. The story that I love to tell is like, there are three parts of our business, esports, entertainment, and apparel. But at the very, very beginning, it was on the esports side, Matt and I had about 30 days to design and produce a jersey or the 100 Thieves League of Legends team. We're going to show up on stage wearing t-shirts. And when it came to our entertainment business, it wasn't about building these amazing series that are now running three or four seasons. It was, let's put out like one really, really great video. And same with apparel. Before we were a large apparel brand, it was, let's make one great hoodie for our fans and our community. So there were definitely like humble beginnings to all parts of our business. We were just starting at the smallest elemental unit of building something which is now obviously much larger. Yep. So you raised an initial seed round, I think it was $10 million or around there, and, and then subsequent mm -hmm. rounds of $25 million Series A and so on. What were those initial conversations like with venture capitalists? I know you came from that side of the table, but I'm assuming some of them kind of had a little hesitancy around fundraising, giving you guys money, et cetera. 
Sure. It was a really interesting process to go through. It was really incredible. Like the number of people that I had a chance coming from the traditional gaming world and venture world to meet with a lot of traditional sports owners, a lot of media and entertainment executives. Those were two industries that I wasn't as familiar with. So yeah, it was really interesting because there were some people that really loved the lifestyle brand aspect of our pitch. There were some people that were really into the esports franchise aspect of our pitch. There were others that really loved the entertainment elements. That's kind of like how we built, you know, we've now, I think, built a great group of investors who are really smart people around the table that Matt and I can go to when we have questions or want to talk about strategy. But we built that group by asking a lot of hard questions and really understanding what are their areas of expertise and how are they going to help 100 Thieves? Yeah. And so like, what is your pitch? So there's obviously some component of esports, which you guys make a percentage of your money from. There's the apparel business and the entertainment, which encompasses content creation and all that type of stuff. So is it, hey, we're going to be really good at all these things? Is it we're going to focus on one? Because I know within the esports world, there's some companies that do one thing really well. There's some that do another thing really well, but there's only very few. And I would consider you guys one of them that do a whole bunch of things really well. We're in the midst of this amazing broader consumer trend of people playing more games and watching more games than ever before. And the industry is still just so young. And what we're doing, there isn't like a tried and true path for building a business in this space. And so I think we had to have a little bit of humility and say like, we're not really sure exactly what the playbook is going to be, but here are all the things that we're seeing and here are all the bets that we want to make that we think could pay off in the future. And I think we're all really happy that we made a variety of bets. A lot of the esports teams that I was talking to back when I was at Bessemer, like their pitch was very straightforward. It was like, we're going to be like the Yankees, but for video games. And I think that that's a really one-dimensional way to look at the esports and gaming opportunity. So I think we're really glad that we've made multiple bets. Yeah. And part of it is the data, right? I've seen a bunch of numbers that stick out specifically about Gen Z. I think there was something on Morning Console a while ago that essentially had some data around most popular sports in America. And for all sports fans of all ages, it was all the ones you would expect. The NFL, the MLB, the NBA, college football, all of these. But when you went down to the younger age brackets, esports was ahead of college football. It was ahead of all of these other sports that you would think are tremendously bigger. So is that part of the pitch? Hey, we're seeing this in the data now. This is where we think the consumer category is heading. And we think we can capitalize on it through this. Yeah, I mean, my, my long-term belief is that gaming is going to be as popular as basically basketball and soccer. I think those are going to be the three big winners when we think about global sports and global competition in 20 or 30 years. You guys are at $460 million from a valuation standpoint. Mm-hmm. There's NBA teams, a couple billion and so forth. Do you think that there will be multiple esports organizations that reach that, call it within the next five to 10 years? I do think so. It's definitely not like a winner's take all market. I think there are a number of organizations that each have their own unique take on how they're playing in the esports and broader gaming entertainment space. And I think that there's room for multiple winners and I think there's room for multiple strategies. So it's definitely one where like, I I don't really see us as in a lot of ways competitive with a lot of the people that we get mentioned with just because I think it's going to be really all boats, all boats are rising when the tide or with the tide, I guess. So I think that's really what we're seeing. Gotcha. And I would love to kind of double click on a little bit of the revenue streams, right? I think when I tweeted this out, a lot of people were questioning, hey, where do they make all their money? I think that people understand there's different facets to it and they want to see what could come of this. How will you guys diversify? So today, my understanding is there is the esports category, which you make a certain percentage from. There's the apparel and the entertainment. Can you just Mm -hmm. walk me through kind of, if you can share the percentages, that's super helpful, obviously, but at least some kind of guidance on where you guys are making money today and how that might change in the future. Sure. So the reason why we're really glad that we made all three of these bets is because our revenue mix is roughly a third, a third, a third between those. So I feel like esports is a good investment. We feel like entertainment's a good investment. We feel like our apparel business is a good investment because they're all paying off for us. And you can imagine the esports revenue line is really both a combination of the money that we make from our publishing partners like Riot and Activision 
as well as the sponsors and partners that really support our esports efforts. On the entertainment and content side, it's things like we have popular entertainment shows like TBH with JHB or the Courage and Nade Shot Show. And obviously, we have, we have a lot of great partners who've made those happen, like JBL and Cash App. And then with our apparel business, it's pretty straightforward. You know, it's like direct to consumer where we have both always on apparel with our new foundations line as well as our traditional drop model. But yeah, all three businesses are going well. All three are growing like very strong rates year over year and have gotten to be pretty substantial for us. So yeah, we're really happy with all three of these and you'll continue to see us investing in all of those. Is there a fourth that you might add at some point in time? Well, that's really where high ground came in. For the first four years, like we were so laser focused on making sure that these three things are healthy parts of our business. We feel like in 2021, we got those in a place where they have strong leaders, great trajectory. We understand what the future looks like for those. And we felt like they were in a good enough place that Matt and I could start to turn our attention a little bit to the future. And that's really where we saw the the potential for high ground. And so, yeah, in a lot of ways, high ground and peripherals is probably the fourth pillar of our business now. So walk me through that acquisition, just whatever details you can give on the numbers or whatnot, but also where you see it going from here. Sure. I think the most important thing for us is like we've now built a pretty sizable community of people who are passionate about 100 Thieves and people who are passionate about gaming. And the thing that Matt and I try to do maybe more than anything is listen to that community. We were just watching what was happening online and we were talking a lot with like the employees at 100 Thieves and we were seeing people just like post these photos during COVID of their gaming setups and they'd always be like switching out their keyboards or you'd see that they had multiple keyboards or you'd see that they were like a collector and getting hardcore into it. And they were always switching out their keycaps. Kind of raised an eyebrow and we're like, huh, this is a really interesting trend that we should kind of keep an eye on. And Matt being a much more like obviously hardcore gamer than I am was starting to like import keyboards and build his own keyboards. And we were just watching this evolution happening. So that's one side of the equation. And on the other side of the equation, we were introduced through some mutual friends to the founders of High Ground, Rustin and Ka. And they were just kind of kindred spirits in terms of how they were thinking about their business. Like they had a really strong perspective on the kind of company that they wanted to build and the innovation that they wanted to drive and how much they cared about brand and design. And in them, we saw people that reminded us a lot of ourselves and a lot of our apparel business from three or four years ago. And so clear industry trends, some great entrepreneurs with a really strong vision for the future. It just made a lot of sense that they should be part of 100 Thieves and that we could help them build the best business possible. And with that, is there kind of an expectation that you guys will expand that into other product lines or peripherals or other things like that? That's really a good question for them. The short answer is, yeah, we're really excited to see how that develops. We're definitely not in a rush to do that. Their focus, rightfully so, is on building really, really high quality products. I'm really excited to see some of the improvements that they have coming in the next year, some of the additional products that they're already thinking about. But yeah, we're not going to rush those. As you can imagine, between the content creators we have and the esports professionals at 100 Thieves, we have some very discerning people when it comes to the quality of gaming peripherals. And we got to make sure that that bar is like super, super high. Yeah, I imagine that can be difficult. (laughs) All right, let's talk about profitability. I'm assuming you guys are not profitable and correct me if I'm wrong, but you just went out and raised a bunch of money. So what is the idea behind profitability? Is this something that you're thinking about actively? Are investors searching for this? Is it something you're not worried about right now? Just walk me through kind of your thoughts on profitability in general. Yeah, we were at a point where, call it like a mid-size, I think, man, I talked a little bit about this in the announcement video, but we could have remained just a mid-sized esports and gaming organization and really been thoughtful about watching costs and investment for the future and become profitable and been just fine. But I think at some point, our ambitions just got much, much bigger. We wanted to make better content. We wanted to have world championship quality esports teams. We wanted to make great apparel. We wanted to expand into things like high ground. And if you're going to do that, you obviously have to make some investments for the future and that's going to be pretty expensive. So for us, we had like a long chat, Matt and I, and 
the board about what our priorities were and what our time horizon was. I think we're all big enough believers that there's so much growth that's going to happen in this industry. Making bets now for the future that we think can pay off was the right way to go. And so rather than take the more conservative approach, I think we've gone with a more, not a, not aggressive, but like maybe a little bit more optimistic and opportunistic path forward where we're ready to raise more money and deploy more capital and really build 100 Thieves into something that we think is, can be really significant and last the test of decades. Well, based on what you said before, it sounds like part of the reason why you went out and joined 100 Thieves and Matt along this journey was because of that idea of building something much bigger than just kind of your traditional smaller size esports company. Yeah, I think so. In a lot of ways, 2021 is the closing of the first chapter of 100 Thieves. We feel like we really delivered against all the promises that we made. We we're going to win championships. We we're going to make great content. We we're going to make great apparel. We feel like we're doing that. We still have a long way to go and we still need to get better in all of those areas. But I think we are now ready now that we've raised some more money, like we're excited to expand and go after even bigger opportunities. Yeah. So Dan Gilbert was one of your first investors in the seed round. Drake and Scooter Braun came later on. What were those conversations like? With Dan, he's just like an incredibly sharp guy. And he also has obviously some very, very smart people around him, like Blake, who are watching what's happening. But I think Dan really got it. I think there were a lot of other sports team owners who wanted to do something in conjunction with their existing sports teams. And I think Dan, to his credit, really understood that what the Cavaliers are doing is really awesome and really, really valuable, but is also like pretty different from what 100 Thieves is doing. The Cavs have their own esports investments, and I think that's going well within the NBA 2K world. But it was like pretty thoughtful of him to have multiple bets in the gaming and esports space and let the Cavs do their thing, but also let 100 Thieves do our thing. And so I thought that that was really smart and really observant when that was not an obvious thing in the esports industry and people were really trying to combine a lot of different businesses. So yeah, Dan's been incredibly valuable in terms of understanding how to work with leagues and how to be a good participatory member, how to be a good participatory team and like how to work with other owners, how to work with the publishers and leagues. So he's been tremendously valuable. And then with Scooter and Drake, it's like they really have taught Matt and I so much about the entertainment business and how we work with talent and how we work with the major platforms and how we think about the brand is hugely driven by some of the feedback and insights that they've given us just given their experience. Yeah. So you guys work with a bunch of obviously newer brands, but legacy brands also. Has that conversation shifted on the marketing side? So you have the Cash App Compound, you have JBL, you have all these brands. Do they get esports now? Is this something that's changed over time since you guys started doing this three, four or five years ago? For sure. I mean, I think for now, it's like if you're the CMO of a Fortune 100 brand, you have to have a gaming strategy. The gaming consumer is a huge portion of the youngest demographic that you might want to reach or a younger demographic that you might want to reach. And so I think that that sets us up particularly well, given that we have a variety of world championship quality esports teams, as well as a lot of content creators that I think are really interesting. But yeah, I think brand interest in gaming and esports has grown tremendously in the last few years. And I think we still have a long way to go. Gotcha. I'd love to touch on how you think about going public versus staying private. We saw an mm-hmm. esports organization phase announced going public through a SPAC earlier this year, made headlines, and then there's a lot of ones that are still private, right? I think they were the first one to reach, whether it was the enterprise value of the total organization reaching a billion or whatever, but they're mm-hmm. going public. It was a big deal. How do you guys think about eventually going public versus staying private? Sure. So, I mean, the time horizon that Matt and I have always thought about and the time horizon that we've talked about with Dan and Scooter, Drake, and all of our investors is certainly we're talking about decades, not months, right? And so for us, we've been able to raise all the capital that we need in the private markets. And we feel like we've got great investors. We feel like we've built like an amazing team and have a great group of employees. And so for now, it's like, we're really just focused on executing our existing business, launching some of these new businesses, thinking about acquisitions, scaling. 
So I can't really say that going public is a big priority for us or taking a lot of our mind share just because we're able to do all the things that we want to do while still remaining private. And also, frankly speaking, we're still just a young company. And I think more traditionally, like going public is something that I think you need to be like a lot, lot bigger to be well received in the public markets. And so I still think we have, we have a ways to go. So I think right now we're definitely kind of in heads down growth and operations mode. Got it. And you guys, obviously, as we mentioned before, raised $60 million recently. What do you do with that money? Do you guys have an idea of what you want to do with it currently? Are you going to wait and hold on to it for some opportunities? Just talk me through what your guys' strategy is with that cash now. Sure. I think a good portion of that is going to be earmarked for just growing our existing businesses. So you're going to continue to see us focus on esports and entertainment and apparel. And then I think we're probably going to reserve a little bit of that money for launching some new businesses. So we have a lot of great entrepreneurs. We have a lot of projects that we're thinking about. <laughs> that similar to what we did with apparel, like it just starts as one hoodie or our entertainment business starting with just one video. We have a number of things in the works that we're just like, let's see how this goes to like the smallest stages and see how the community reacts. And so I think, I think we'll definitely be launching some new businesses and we'll see how those go. We're definitely excited for them. And then we're definitely going to reserve some of that money for opportunistic things to come up over the next few years, similar to high ground. So if there are companies that we really admire, where we share the same philosophy where the community could get really, really excited about them being part of the 100 Thieves family brands. That would make sense to do an acquisition. So we're saving some money for that as well. John, when I asked what you guys were going to do with the $60 million, you smiled at one point and you said, we have some ideas. We have some great entrepreneurs that we're working with. Should we be expecting an announcement? Uh, not anytime soon. One of my favorite parts of the job is just like, I love recruiting and I love hiring really, really smart young people who are scrappy and have great ideas that are able to like turn, turn one into 10, right? And I think we've done like a good job of building that entrepreneurial culture at 100 Thieves. And it gets me really excited when people come to me and Matt and are like, hey, I've got a great idea and I'd love to try this or I'd love to, I'd love to go after this. And we're like, great, see how it goes. Like, what do you need? How can we help? So we'll see. But look, I mean, the bar is, the bar is going I was just, uh, John, I'm know? just making sure I'm not being held back on anything here, all right? No, 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 no. The bar is going up for 100 Thieves, right? And before, uh, before we announce anything, it's like, we've got to make sure this is really going to work. And we're, we got to make sure that it meets the expectations of our fans. Gotcha. So one of the popular questions I got on Twitter when I tweeted out that we were going to be doing this interview was the mm -hmm. idea of a good versus a great esports team. What in your mind makes that difference from going from a good esports organization to a great one? It's really hard to say. Esports is obviously like a big part of our business and it's core to who we are, but I also don't love, I, I wouldn't want to just like paint us in the corner of being an esports organization. So I don't know if I have a great answer for that. As we think about that aspect of our business, pretty straightforward. Like we're here to win championships. That's it. I'm super competitive. Matt's super competitive. We didn't get into any of these games to lose. Part of the reason why we only play in three or four games instead of six or 10 or 12 or whatever is like, we want to play in the games that our fans really, really care about and are really passionate about. And in those games, we want to field world championship contenders. Gotcha. So let's transition to talk a little bit about valuation multiples. I think part of the presence of the esports world and your guys' organizations in general, even outside of esports, more in culture and entertainment and all this stuff, is the valuation multiples that some of these businesses are given. So as an mm -hmm. example, professional sports teams usually trade somewhere between five and six times revenue. There's obviously tech companies, software companies, whether you want to say 10, 15, whatever it is. And esports organizations of your nature and others trade closer to that 15 to even sometimes up to 20. How do you think about that? And do you think that will change over time? You're probably not going to like this answer, but honestly, like Matt and I don't spend a huge amount of time thinking about valuation. 
99% of our time is thinking about growing this business and operating a great business and delivering against those high expectations of our community. And then like 1% is we pick our heads up every like two or three years and we go to our investors and we say, here are our big ideas and here's everything that we've accomplished and here are all the things we want to do in the future. And whether we raise money at like an eight times revenue or 10 times or 15 times, these are all just, I don't know, stops along the way in our journey. And what's much more important is the trajectory of that journey and that we actually get to take that trip. So Matt and I just like are not super valuation conscious and super valuation focused, if I can say that, if you believe that. <laughs> yeah, it's not that I don't believe it, right? I think every great entrepreneur and people that are building a business are head down and focused. So I certainly believe the idea that you guys are more concentrated on that. My question was more just based off of, look, you guys are raising money, right? So obviously there's some kind of conversation around valuation, but I get it, right? I think everyone at some point is focused on furthering their business and getting more revenue and valuation will eventually follow. So that's fair. I think well, that makes like, sense. There's a huge amount of complexity behind revenue multiples, whether it's in private markets or public markets. And obviously public companies are much more mature than we are. And at the end of the day, revenue multiples or valuation multiples are really based on growth expectations. And so for us, it's like, given the growth that I think our investors have seen and what we've accomplished in the last two or three years and what we project in the next few years, I'm not surprised that people view us as a high growth company. Like that's exactly what we are. And so seeing multiples that value us that way is kind of like in line with our expectations. Gotcha. And have you guys said how fast you are growing? I know you raised just when you look at the fundraising history, I think it was at 160 a couple of years ago, and now it's at 460. Mm -hmm. So you're obviously yep. growing a lot from a valuation perspective, but can you just talk about revenue growth? Sure. I think we've roughly doubled our revenue every single year. And then this year between 2020 and 2021, we had the fastest growing year we've ever had in terms of both gross dollars added to the top line, as well as the percentage growth. So I think it was 110% growth year over year. So yeah, the business is in uh Feeling like we're in a really good spot. Definitely feeling like we're hitting an inflection point for the business overall. Okay, so that's fair. And how do you get from, we'll call it close to half a billion valuation, 460 to a billion? How do you double from here? It's a great question. Again, Matt and I are going to be super heads down. We think that all three of these core businesses right now that we're operating can be, I think we would put in is like, we think we can grow those like three or four times the size that they are today. The biggest opportunity is still the one right in front of us, which is just excellence and execution and operations. So we're going to continue to grow there. And then I think layering on some of these new businesses is going to be really interesting. But I think ultimately, I have to say our ambitions are not just, we, we, don't, we don't want to just double this company. We really want to build this into something that's lasting for decades. And we think if we're really taking advantage of the market tailwinds that are behind us, it's probably appropriate to shoot for something bigger than even a billion dollars right now. I love that. I love that. So I'm going to give you a word salad, pretty much, of all these new terms, NFTs, Metaverse, Web3, yeah. Crypto. What do those mean for your business, if anything? Uh, it is a really interesting opportunity. It's also one that we are trying to take in the most thoughtful way possible. We are, I, I would say, Matt and I, leadership team more broadly, we're like students of our business and our industry, but also adjacent industries. So I would say we are watching all of this like very, very closely. We launched an NFT early last year, last spring. And I think some of the members, like, so, like one part of our community was really excited about it. A larger maybe portion of our community was like, hey, what's going on here? Like, we don't really know a whole lot about NFTs. We don't really know a whole lot about crypto. Is this something we're speculating or where we're unsure of what the future could be or what, like, what's the promise here? You know, I think one of the amazing things about 100 Thieves is... We try to be really, really transparent. And more than anything, it's like when we sell you a hoodie for $90, we want you to feel like you got something that was worth way more than $90. 
And with NFTs, I think we just have to be like really careful, especially like just NFTs and broader like crypto and Web3. We want to be like really thoughtful about what we're offering and what we're promising to make sure that anyone in our community that kind of participates in these things that we do feels like they are getting great value. They're being taken care of, that they're not risking too much, right? Because again, Hunt Thieves built a strong community on over-delivering for our fans. I think that's still our biggest priority. Yeah, I think that makes sense. That brings up a good point. How do you guys deal? You have millions of fans, obviously. How do you deal with the amount of feedback you get? I'm assuming you put something out there, there could be a good reaction from one side, a bad reaction from the other. How do you guys take all that information in and decide what to do from there? Again, we, we do a lot of listening, you know, I have to admit, we spend a lot of time on Twitter. We spend a lot of time on Reddit. We definitely listen to like groups that we think represent our hardcore fans, groups that we think represent the broader gaming population or, or gaming internet. We also look inwardly a lot. We definitely haven't had success with 100 Thieves just by reacting and giving the community what they want. In a lot of ways, Matt, our creative leader and our visionary, has built something incredible by having a great sense for what people will want in the future, maybe before they even know that themselves. And so, yeah, we definitely do a lot of listening. We also spend a lot of time debating things internally. We definitely try to be really deliberate about all the things that we do, but we also try to be innovative and take a bunch of risks. Gotcha. All right. Before we wrap up, I got a couple more fun ones here for you. What's the craziest thing that's ever happened at Hunter Thieves while working there? Going to meet Drake at his compound was pretty wild. I think I showed up with my laptop, which was not really appropriate. It was a much more informal scene. I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this, but like the Canadian national basketball team was literally like playing on his tennis court. It was just a pickup game with all these NBA players and like the whole Canadian national team. And I was just like, that's pretty fucking cool. So yeah, that was, that was probably like a pretty wild moment getting to meet him and hear his thoughts and how excited he was about gaming and and what we were doing was really cool. And then spending some more time with him around his, I think it was like the Scorpion tour where we built some Fortnite machines for him to take on the road. That was pretty cool. We definitely met a lot of really, really interesting, extremely talented, very successful people. It's like kind of humbling that they are interested in what we're doing, especially when we were a much smaller company. So that's been, yeah, certainly the most fun part of this ride. Well, Drake has probably a nicer facility than some of these practice teams might have. So (laughs) that's hilarious. All right. So what's the biggest bet that has paid off for you guys? Something you guys did business-wise that you maybe weren't so sure that would work out that has worked out really well? You know, one of the biggest risks that we took was actually increasing our payroll in League of Legends in the last couple of years. Before 100 Thieves, like I began my career actually working for the Cincinnati Reds. A long time ago, I thought it was going to be like a baseball general manager. And it was all about efficiently deploying your payroll dollars, right? And one of the biggest risks that we took was going into the 2021 season. We were like, we think we might be getting closer to a championship window. And we had the opportunity to acquire a couple of like really, really strong players but they were also pretty expensive. And we said like, yeah, let's commit to this. This is important to our fans. This is important to who we are. This is important to us. This is important to our employees. We're ready to win. So those off-season acquisitions, I think were one of the best moves that we made because then there became a mid-season opportunity to acquire an amazing mid laner from Germany. We actually got him from a Bundesliga team. It's wild how these things happen, but just like traditional sports, it's building block after building block after building block. You catch a couple of breaks, you play well, you get the coach you need. And all of a sudden that championship window opens and sometimes it works out for you. What is the saying that I've heard you say before? I, I think I've read it before. It's like, you want to be the Yankees of this, the Supreme of this. Like if you mix them all together, is, is there like a saying that you have? The companies that we refer to the most, like I'd say we take a lot of inspiration from the Lakers. We take a lot of inspiration from Barstool on the content side. I think they're like yeah. a really, really strong company that we admire. And then on the apparel side, 
yeah, whether it's Supreme or Stone Island or the hundreds, I think I think we have a lot of respect for those apparel brands and streetwear brands that have been around now for a couple of decades and have been through highs and lows and reinvented themselves multiple times. The brands that last the test of time across all three of those verticals are the ones we really respect. Gotcha. Those are pretty good teams and companies to admire. The Lakers are a little more showtime than the Yankees. So I respect that. All right, John, thanks for doing this. I know you could be doing a million different things with your time. So I appreciate it. And we'll have to do it again soon. Hey, well, we're a big fan. Keep it up. Really appreciate you having me on. And let's do this again when we, I don't know, when we raise the next round. Of course. Thanks. All right, Joe. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.